This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome in to the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts, Brian Christofferson. It is February 21st. I don't know why you need to know the date, but just in case you are uh, listening to this months later, you'll know we're talking about Things that happened around February 21st. Nebraska has a commitment. First one in the 2024 class. You may recall a conversation that we had last week where we discussed who Nebraska's first commitment could be. Uh, There was some strong, strong feelings on the podcast that it was going to be one specific player from the state of Texas. Now, it did turn out to be a player from the state of Texas. However, it did not turn out to be a tight end with very strong Nebraska connections. Instead, it is Roger Gradney, a four-star athlete from Texas, who I believe fits the mold of going to get offered by Evan Cooper, who will probably get a quick commitment, has probably never visited Nebraska. Oh, I said all of that. That was me. That was Mike Schaefer. Wow. I'm really good at this. Oh, sorry. Are we podcasting? Michael Brunch, what are your thoughts? Roger Gradney. I was going to I was gonna express some contrition, but I don't know that I'm going to now. But yes, you were correct. <laughs> um, you got the out of, uh, out of left field commitment from a four-star top 247 athlete, Roger yeah, Gradney. Left field, but somehow not left field. Yeah, left, left field, but a pretty good football player and a guy that runs track. Um, left center, is that fair? Yeah, the power alley. It's it's uh yeah it's out there, but um so Roger Gradney um for anybody that's familiar with their their Texas geography uh, is that uh, is is in Altair, Texas, which is a uh, smallish town, um, kind of in in uh, flyover country in Texas, and Nebraska had been talking to him quite a while actually before the offer came this weekend um, from Evan Cooper and uh, Omar Hales and he uh, he jumped on it and you know it, it's interesting you know we've, we've heard you know in the, in the hours since the commitment that the the offer list and the the ranking really don't match and you know he's a, he's a top 247 athlete four-star recruit uh, his other offers, I believe, are Campbell, Texas Tech, and UTSA. And Nebraska comes in and offers, and he, he takes the, the commitment. Kind of an interesting guy because as a sophomore, just a freak athlete, football player, uh, scored touchdowns as a runner, receiver, punt returner, kick returner. 
um, you know, could play offense, could play defense. He's also a, uh, I think a 10, eight guy in, in the hundred, um, has a good 200 time. He also throws the disc and, uh, and, and does some triple jump too. And, you know, you might be saying, well, why, why was nobody in Texas on this kid? Well, he missed most of his junior season with an injury. Wasn't really putting his name out there a ton at camps and, um, hadn't even really updated his huddle film. And I think a lot of the schools that were talking to him and there were power five schools that have been talking to him for quite a while. Notre Dame was another one, um, kind of thought that they had, they kind of had him stashed away a little bit. And, um, you know, Nebraska was also one of those schools that immediately started talking to him when Matt rule and his staff came, uh, in November and they were rewarded with a commitment. So, Definitely a uh, an unexpected one as we sat last week. Um, Schaefer smartly took the field, and Nebraska now has their 2024 class off with some momentum with a guy that uh, is is definitely you know you had to do your homework on to find him. Bruns, how many classes? If I just threw the random cycle at you, do you think you could name the number one or the first commitment of? Um... Over the last, let's say, eight to ten years, uh, I put you down for four. I bet you could get four. Not specific names, but like there was the the edge rusher from Florida. I'm blanking on his name. R.J. Sorensen. Uh, the other kid. Um, I don't know. The, if you, you have to give me more than that. The other one from Miami. He came up here for a year and then left. The other one from Miami. Which guy. which year? I'm looking right now. Okay. Because, like, there's some that I just have distinctly built into my brain because it just sort of timed out. Like, Eric Lee is nominally the first commitment of the 2014 recruiting class or the 2015 recruiting class. Um, but that came at the same time as, like, they got Avery Anderson, Christian Gaylord, and Kendall Bussey all in, like, the same weekend. Um, Willie Hampton. Willie Hampton, first... that was his name. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Um, yeah. yeah, outside linebacker, I'm pretty sure, right? Yes. Yeah, so Willie Hampton was uh, the first for Mike Riley, I believe. Um, and then you get kind of the weird ones where, like, Garrett Nelson was the first commitment in the 2019 recruiting class. But he also had committed to the previous staff like going into his junior year. So it's, it's kind of just like there's some different sort of ones in there, but there's always a little bit of a story of whoever the first of any class is. Do I get credit if I name Cam Jurgens since he committed three years early? Does it, does that count? Was he the first for 2018 then? Uh, I'm looking now. This would be a good story. Yeah, no, I was thinking about actually doing this, so it uh, it would probably read better than it's going to listen for for most people having to suffer through this. For the guys, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, it's Jurgen. Michael Rose Ivy was twenty twelve. Was he? Yeah. Was he the guy in that class? Yeah, Jurgens would have been eighteen. The eighteen class. Mm. Yeah, Teddy Prohaska would have been twenty twenty one. Andrew Lutovsky followed him. Yep. You need to put this to paper. That'd be good. All right. All right. Well, now people that have listened to it can either have read the story before they listen to this 
or go check the story out, which you can find at Husker 24-7, where there's plenty of great content all the time. Oh, sorry. We had plenty of podcasts left. Just uh, routine there. All right. Roger Gradney. And so, BC, what does it kind of say about the staff, like, and and how they sort of go about recruiting? I mean, they, they added a guy sight unseen. Did somebody that they clearly have, um, you know, a high opinion of down in Texas. And again, it feels like it has the fingerprints of Evan Cooper watching a lot of film and just seeing somebody that kind of flashed for him, even if it's not junior film. I mean, we've definitely got to trust your own eval staff on our hands. And um, that you can't say that everywhere. I think Nebraska is going to be one of those coaching staffs where Nebraska and Texas Tech offer the same guy. We know that. Even Matt, Matt Rule, even at his one press conference, said if you'll probably see Texas Tech on the list of a lot of the same guys we're after uh, with what Joey McGuire is doing down there. Um, but I, there's going to be other programs that then jump in and try to follow suit. But I, it's a big deal when you're first on the case. It really is in some of these. I, recruits don't forget that. They remember who their day ones. Are the kids still saying that your day ones were? Um, you know, the Bronx, no, Bronx is the closest to the youth in this podcast. So. I'm, I'm the last person to be yeah, asking that day ones yet. Um, um, I, I don't, I don't know. Daniel Tiger. Is he a day one? Yeah. I don't know. I got, I got nothing for you, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> it's so sad. We're so old. I, I think the fact that you're first on the case means a lot and that it, it's going to be fun because you mentioned Notre Dame maybe had him in their stashed away pile. That's like a sort of interesting segment of recruiting now too is it's hard to do, but there are these big programs that have this little pile of guys over here and they're like, maybe we can kind of keep them, you know, under the radar as long as possible. But then you got to know when to kind of pull, push that button and say, all right, let's go with this, you know? And it seems like Nebraska timed that very well in this case because this is probably a prospect who was going to pick up more steam if he went to some camps and all that. And then you're in an elbows-out fight with 20 schools, and and now you've got the head up on everybody. Obviously, you got to hold them in the class. Um, but, you know, recruits down in Texas are also looking at this staff and saying, it's up in Nebraska, but it feels a little bit like a home flavor to me with these guys. I mean, they, they know this – this state and area so well and and they res- they really respect texas from what they've done there in the past and i think that's going to be appealing and again he's another guy who he just does everything as far as different sports which his staff likes and he's got it on paper he's got the data there and you know rule talked about with like jeremiah charles um when they got him he he, he like heard his triple jump numbers and he's like that's always going to raise my eyebrows and I'm going to be like, all right, let's look at the film. Here's another guy who's a great triple jumper. He's got explosion and stuff like that. Um, And kind of a can do attitude. He wants to play every position. He had a great quote about how he even wanted to play like D end and stuff like that. And he's, I think he's 190 pounds. So um, very interesting prospect, sort of a fun one to get this class going. And um, you know, he's a four-star recruit too. This is not just some, um, guy who was off the you know who nobody knew about um he, he's a guy who is plays very well in the recruiting rankings the it's so interesting this all happened on sunday right uh, this, uh the offer and everything came about on sunday during the day yes and then he yep. committed by monday night 
Yeah, I mean, he had he basically committed that day um, yep. and, and was waiting to announce. He's he's inter- interesting though because he he has the speed and athleticism. I from talking to people in Texas that he could try to play wide receiver. I think he fits more on 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 the defensive side of the ball, but he's he's got the athletic profile that's kind of intriguing in a three three five because he, he's a potential you know smallish linebacker rover type. He can play safety. He's played a little bit of corner, and you know I, I think with him too, and you look at like kind of where things are trending. I guess in, in defensive players that get drafted in the NFL, a lot of those guys have experience having played offense they're both sides of the ball type guys and you know that they're not kind of the ready-made like rocked out like 230 pound linebackers with big neck rolls that I think a lot of people still think about when they think defensive recruiting so it's a you know it's a an evaluation a good evaluation by Nebraska but I, I think they you know, th- th- there's a lot to like. I mean, he's he's playing at three A level in Texas, which is a really small school. I I, just, I just looked it up. According to Wikipedia, Altair had an estimated a, an estimated population of thirty in two thousand. But um, you know, th- there's going to be an adjustment level for you know competition level. But you know, the 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 thing that Matt Rule always is going to go back to is that do you have that grounded in the, in the athleticism and, and just being a good football player? And I, I think that's what he's got. They are absolutely not afraid to go into places that are not hotbeds in Texas. I mean, Bryce Turner was in Bay city, Bay city hadn't had a D one recruit in a long time. I mean, so it's uh that, that kind of just like, I think you, I don't know if it was you or BC that said that they're just very much a trust their own evaluation staff. I mean, that, that, that lends itself even to stuff like where they're willing to go. If, if a guy's athletic numbers meet whatever they're looking at, it doesn't matter Like if they play at a lower competition or a higher competition, Nebraska is interested. Uh, we're going we're gonna to shift gears real slightly here, but before we get there, I'm going to ask uh, a potentially strange question. Brian, when did you graduate high school? 1999. Nebraska just offered a uh, an eighth grader who will graduate in 2027. He will graduate high school and be eligible to play college football in 2027. Nebraska just offered Tory Pittman. Um, Tory Pittman the second. Do I have that right, Brunts? I believe you uh, wrote about third, him. I believe. Tory Pittman the third, uh, who is at Buffett Middle School and expected to to attend Omaha Central next year. This, as far as I know, is the first time Nebraska has offered a sitting eighth grader an in-state scholarship. So a little bit of a watershed moment um, there. And just, it's also remarkable to, to think of the phrase 2027. So I just wanted to use BC's old age to, to really kind of <laughs> you know, what that do with anything, really. Like, they, they, they also offered that... Uh, you're right. That was the first in-state guy, but they offered is it Trent Seaborn Brunts, the yep the QB, the 27 QB who like won a state title in eighth grade uh, down Alabama, Alabama. But he's yeah. got a ton. Or Seaborn does. So Nebraska is not sitting out there by themselves on that one. Yeah, you've got two two 27 offers out there right now, um, which is kind of remarkable. But I the the Seaborn one's kind of funny because I mean it, it we. 
one of the people in our network, his, his kids go to that school uh, that, that he plays at. And uh, I, I don't think there's too much doubt that he's going to be a, a pretty decent quarterback down there. I mean, that, that's like high, high level Alabama football as an eighth grader is pretty impressive, but uh, yeah, Tory Pittman, the uh, third, we're, we're getting into, uh, you know, eighth grade now. Uh, and not surprisingly, Buffett Middle School was not listed as a school in our system. So I uh, just went ahead and put him put him with uh, Omaha Central. Wow. Just what if he decides to change schools? We, we can change that, but we uh, we don't have Buffett as an option. Right. Well, that's that's exciting. Anything else we want to get to recruiting football wise? Anything else happen? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, it, it does it feel like to you guys there's momentum with 24? I mean, it, it felt like it felt like there already was given the the list that's kind of coming together tentatively for that March 25th weekend. But um, you, I don't know. I guess it feels different once you get that first you get the first commitment for the class. You break the seal. I think that Nebraska will have multiple commitments more before they get to that big weekend at the end of the month like i i was surprised last week when um i asked if you thought they would have a commitment by that weekend and you both or at least one of you said no uh i i think they're gonna have several more people i also think this is a staff more than what we've seen in the past that are both uh willing to push for and also take commitments from guys that have yet to visit nebraska so i think we're gonna see that not a not a ton necessarily, but I think you'll see it more than kind of what we become accustomed to, where you're usually talking about one, two, sometimes three visits before someone's ready to uh, to provide that commitment to Nebraska. So that's that's kind of where I'm at with. But I, I agree with the general idea. I think there's definitely um, some momentum for them on the trail, and and I wouldn't be surprised, like I said, if they they have three, maybe four commitments by the time that March weekend rolls around. And Gradney will be uh, – he's, he's planning on being up here that weekend, yeah. the, the March 25th weekend too. So, Pretty much hitting or getting close to double digits of guys saying that they're going to be there uh, that weekend, which, again, I always sort of say this, and especially when you're talking about unofficial visits, these things are so fluid. I mean, they're – you know, I, I'm probably a little cautious when it comes to, like, putting these lists together – just because I feel like by the time you actually get to the event, it changes so much. But right now, uh, about a month out, it looks pretty good for Nebraska at the end of March. Uh, we'll dive into that more in the coming weeks. But we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into basketball. Nebraska basketball is just rolling. Uh, we will get into their latest win, a overtime victory over Maryland. And we will have the opposite of that discussion as Michael Bruns attempts to explain the bullpen strategy for Nebraska baseball and why it didn't work out in sunny San Diego. All that and more on the Husker 24 seven podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price. Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Nebraska basketball got another big victory on Sunday night, uh, hosted 
Maryland in a game that went into overtime. It's a weird game. I don't know how much, uh, I, I think both of you had stuff going on. I don't know how much either of you were able to watch that game on Sunday, but it was pretty choppy uh, even before the, the officials changed their strategy of not blowing the whistle in the first half to calling uh, 10 fouls before the first media timeout on the second half on Sunday. But it there wasn't a lot of flow. But the game basically broke down into two parts. There was Nebraska with Sam Grisell on the floor. And then there was Nebraska without Sam Grisell on the floor. Basically, when he wasn't around, the offense struggled a lot. And the defense did not play nearly as well. Uh, It's kind of surprising to me just combing through that box score, guys. There's so many people that had such a big effect on that game. And it had really nothing to do with their points but it was what they were providing on the defensive end because Maryland was flustered throughout that, throughout that contest. Yeah. Everybody's doing their, their little niche right now really well. I mean, like blaze, what did it blaze at one point, didn't he? Yeah. One point eight rebounds, a block and a steal. And honestly, it felt like he had, I don't know, 15 rebounds with as much as he was in there, mixing it up against several bigs for Maryland. You know, a, a fun thing about Blaze too, is he's been taking big charges in these critical moments. And uh, you go back to the preseason, and Hoiberg, like, mentioned that offhand. Like, oh, yeah, Cato leads the team and charges taken in practice. And it's one of those things you're kind of like, yeah, like, that'll matter. You know, you kind of you, – you you kind of paw that away. You think it's not going to come into play. And it's it's been huge in the these critical moments of games and him standing tall and just having a knack for that skill – which when it's deciding games, you know, that one possession going, going the other way with it. And by the way, I love officials who make dramatic charge calls, like who really like get their body into it. Brunts doesn't, but I do. Um, but I mean, like, and it's Sammy Hoiberg. What can you say? I mean, when he comes in, he just makes something good happen. Usually he's really a really solid defender for his measurables. Like he, he he'll, They'll put him on a, the top score sometimes even, and he'll he'll make the guy work for it. And uh, obviously he had the big steal everyone will talk about, but people could go back a week before that against Wisconsin when he came from the back and and, and had that steal in overtime that kind of put Nebraska in charge of that game. So um, Sam has just been clutch be, beyond belief, and it's not just on defense. I mean, he's hitting the free throws when he's asked to do that, and every guy has sort of accepted like that they may play 20 minutes in a game. And then there's going to be games where they play five minutes, but they're going to, they're going to get use out of that time. There yeah, was I a, thought that, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. So, to your point about Hoiberg, there was a, I, I want to say it was kind of latish in the second half where there was, the ball was swung around to him on a three point on the three point line. And there was like no hesitation. I mean, I, I, that splashed the, it. Yeah. And, and just, you know, being ready for the moment almost. It it, it just it just uh he's playing really impressively. I thought, you know, BC's correct about his defense. I mean he he's just kind of he's pesky. And I was shocked. Oh, maybe I shouldn't be, but like the charge that he drew late in that game where he kind of like he wasn't he was like the off ball defender and he kind of slipped. It was 
I don't know. Maybe a charge. <laughs> there were a couple plays in that second half that Nebraska got call wise where I was like, I don't know. Like the the, the one where Casey was kind of bailed out at the three point line and they actually uh called the foul on Maryland. I was like, eh, I don't know about that. But um but no Hoiberg's been great and they needed somebody to kind of step in and be that reliable energy guy. He's been great and he's also, you know, providing some scoring punch too. So that, that was a, it was a fun game to watch. I went back and watched it at like two in the morning, but good God, that was like, that was one of the more clunkier games that I can remember just in terms of flow and officiating. And there's been some real stinkers the last few years that I can remember. Yeah. The, it's, it's probably not a game that that officiating crew is going to submit to their, uh, you know, best games of 2022, 23, uh, highlight reel. I, I want to hit on a couple things here. One, what I like about Hoiberg is it feels like you're witnessing someone just bringing out every single ounce of talent they have in them. Like it doesn't, it's like the opposite of like the Isaiah Roby thing where, you know, the, the dumb question would get asked, does he realize how good he is or how talented he is or how much potential he has? And I think it's sort of the opposite of Hoiberg where it's just like, he's getting, Everything that he can do, he's just getting every single piece of his ability in it. I mean, it's this isn't a guy that you're expecting to, to go for double figures ever, but he's able to get there in crunch time. He's hitting free throws. He hit that huge three-pointer. You know, Nebraska only made three three-pointers in a basketball game in 2023, and they managed to win it against another Power 5 opponent. Like, that's that's pretty remarkable anymore. And Casey made two of them, and, and Hoiberg had the other, and it was big. Um, you know, and, and it speaks to, to where this is kind of all going after the game, Derek Walker talked about, you know, what plays Cato specifically, but this is sort of true. And it, it hits on what BC said, blaze Cato. He, he, he basically said blaze understands what the role is that we need from him. And you sort of get that with a bunch of these guys, like Sam Hoiberg knows why he's going in the game. It's to provide a little bit of ball handling and it's to play up tempo in your face defense and when there's an opportunity to take a shot, take it. Um, you know, when there's an opportunity to to go for the steal, go for it. And I think getting those contributions and when guys kind of have an understanding of what it is, like you only get 15 minutes on the court, make the most of them. And I think you're seeing guys like Blaze and, and Sam Hoiberg really do that. And then other players are kind of feeding off of it. And they've just, they're kind of a tricky team at the moment. Like they, you have Derek Walker, who's like 35 years old, throwing every YMCA move at some of these guys. I mean, they have a tough time standing in front of him. He's able to get his elbows buried into people and can spin them around. I mean, you you have that. Casey's hot right now from, from outside, so you have to, to really sort of extend. And then he's really gotten very good at just his uh, ability to get open on those cuts. And you it's not just Derek Walker anymore. You have different guys that are comfortable – throwing some tight passes to him and he can get a shot off so quickly that even his layups are kind of like, whoa, where did that come from? So I, I just think they're playing at a really high level, big game against Minnesota coming up, not so much because of Minnesota's record, but they can't have a letdown. Like they can't give everything back. You know, this is a sort of um, great spot for a letdown here. Uh, and so I, I think Hoiberg knows that. I think this team knows that. So they've got to kind of come out hard this week and, and really sort of be ready to go on Saturday. Yeah. 
it's Derek Walker. I'm glad you were talking him up because it, it can be easy to take for granted what he's doing this year. And he does have that occasional game where, yes, he might have that six or seven turnover game that pops up. But if you think about it, you're asking so much of a big to be a facilitator like that. And that's going to happen on occasion. And um, the fact he's can get his, but also is so good at sharing the ball and knowing yeah. how to be that guy, um, man, he's going to be missed so much. And I, I thought um, Nick ball, who was doing the broadcast, he did a good breakdown at halftime of sort of the, compromising spots Nebraska is putting defenses in right now with when the ball goes to Walker and the guys, you know, like Tom and Aga are cutting well, but they can also on certain occasions be window dressing basically where it's like, are they, are they going to cut to the hole or no, or no, they're just clearing out on the sides and it gives Walker that one-on-one where like you say, it's whatever YMCA game or not, it's tough to stop. He just gets that big body on a guy. And uh, it's like old man strength, you know, it's like, these guys are great college athletes and stuff like that, but it's like that's a that's a that's a real man there who's like uh, fix some pipes and stuff like that in his life, and he's just gonna like he's gonna get stuff done, and um, he usually does. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a big difference between being 25 and 18. I mean, let's yeah. just be honest. Like that's nope. <laughs> that's what you're dealing with there. Um, I'm not sure he's I, 25. It seems old. Uh, the um the age is one thing, but the his like the best skill that he has to me, his touch on the rim, like his just ability of when to kind of put pressure on it, when to go for the backboard, when to like how to just drop it right on the front of the rim. Like if Alex March had that kind of touch, he'd average like thirty five points a game for Doc Sadler instead of missing. Like you know what I mean? The Walker's touch and his shooting percentage are so remarkable because he's just like, he's surrounded by people. He's very rarely ever getting just point blank, wide open looks. I mean, I think he had kind of a, an easy dunk on Saturday or on Sunday, but everything else, I mean, he had the Maryland defenders were just in him the entire way. Like I I just, I can't get over how just even that simple drop hook he has, like he just has that down pat. We haven't seen a Nebraska big with that kind of touch at the rim almost really <laughs> since what, like Vincent Hamilton. And I don't even know if he necessarily qualifies. Like I, I'm at the edge of my memory thinking of, of like post players that could legitimately score in the paint. And Marich was solid, but he it just felt like he gave away so many, so many like four footers. You never really get that with Walker. Yeah. Shooting 60% on the field, uh, 60% on the season from the field. Like that's yeah. uh that's pretty good, pretty good. Did you guys think so? Um, we're going long on this, and I apologize, but I just thought it was a great game. So, Brunch, you said you rewatched it. BC, you obviously caught it. They struggled to get that inbounds in. They're down two in the end of regulation. Call the timeout. They finally just have to throw it to Walker. I don't know what the play call was, but do you think that was just like a him like, I just got to go do this. Like he just took his guy to the basket. Nice left-handed layup finish. I, I just thought that was like a guy basically saying, you know what? I don't know what the play is anymore. We just need someone to go do something. And he went and did it. Yeah, I I, I think those types of plays just, I mean, show the amount of trust that Fred has in him. I mean, to, to basically have your center be your offensive facilitator 
you have to be a pretty special player anyways. And it, and I, I think that's the value of having, you know, the veteran guys like, like Greasel and uh, Walker. And I mean, Bandamel was kind of the same way whenever he was healthy was, you know, you can, you can draw up whatever the heck you want on a grease board, but at some time, like either you just got to go make a shot, make a play or do make a winning play. That's going to, you know, put your team up and, Walker's done that a ton um, and is probably still underappreciated for the amount of times he's done that. It's the same way, you know, with, with Greasel at times where he just posts a guy up and just makes a shot over him. I mean, that that's, you know, just what, what the moment calls for. And I, Walker was just fantastic in that game. And, and I always think too, when you start getting to this point in the season, you start having the veteran guys that start doing the math on how many games they've got left. Um, yeah, and I, I think you kind of start to see a little bump um, in, in those situations of guys just playing, a, playing a little bit better, knowing that there's not much time left. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a ton of sense. I mean, you, I don't know. We'll, we'll have maybe a chance to talk about it Tuesday next week. That game, if uh, Nebraska's game after Minnesota is an eight o'clock start at home against Michigan State. Um, how confident are you that they can just handle their business against Minnesota? They're the worst team in the Big Ten. Uh, Nebraska beat them on the road. It's one of their two road wins uh, this year in conference play. BC, are you confident that Nebraska can handle their business at home against Minnesota? No hiccup. They just show up, workmanlike, get it done. I'd favor them, but it's a, it's a bit of a worrisome game to me. Uh, because it's that one where everyone's going to throughout the week, there's sort of going to be that thought like, okay, they can get, they're going to be above 500, that chatter in the air and uh, the, the NIT postseason talk. I do love that, you know, maybe, maybe the NIT is, is the ceiling for the, you know, what this group can reach, but guys like Derek Walker and those guys are understanding of like how big that would be for yep. this program. And so some some years you guys know, like if you're talking about a team that was trying to play their way in the NIT, people's like, who cares? You know, right. um, it, it's completely the opposite around here and everybody understands that. So I love that there, there's a there's a carrot that's right out there and it's 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 exciting for people. Um, but I am a I'm a touch concerned about Minnesota. I mean, they played Illinois to it. They're that type of team who they have a terrible record. But if you look at some games, they can show up and they're within yep. six, eight points late in the game against teams that are talented. So you got to watch your step against them. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. Brunch, you ready to talk baseball? If we must. Have you recovered? It's a lot of radio time. It's a lot of having to watch a bad website. W The WCC network held up pretty well. It held up better than the Nebraska bullpen this weekend. Um <laughs> I what, what didn't hold up better than the bullpen this week? Yeah, um, that I can think of a few just really strange games that I've covered um, in in the decade plus of doing this with Nebraska baseball. There was one against like Wichita State where Nebraska just like could not throw strikes. I think they walked. It, it was like sixteen or eighteen guys, like some just ungodly number. It was under Erstad, right? Yeah. And I don't know that I can recall a 16 to 16, seven inning game um, where one of the teams only had seven hits. Like 
it uh, it was just inexplicable. I mean, Nebraska gives up nine runs in an inning, turns around and scores 12 straight, and then gives up a six-run lead in the seventh inning and basically has to, to, to bag up the bats and head to the airport to fly home. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I just kind of the, the, the overall takeaway, I, you know, the offense was good enough to win at least two games. I, I like the way that they bounced back. I think, the, I think this is a team that's going to hit a lot more, uh, than what they did a year ago, which is they, they needed to do. I thought the first two, two starters, Kamenska and, Olsen pitched probably well enough to, to win. Um, you know, I, I think they'll, I think they're going to be solid, but man, I mean, there, there's, I don't know that there's anything worse as, as a baseball player when you can't throw strikes, like you're just standing out there with your pants down. Um, just not, there, there's just no answer. I mean, probably the only thing worse is sitting in the dugout watching it happen. I mean, that that's kind of what it was on, on Monday. And you know, it's, it wasn't just like, it was just, you know, freshmen that were doing it. It was, you had Shea Shannon, your fifth year guy out there, uh, you know, Mason Ornelas comes in and it's the same thing. I mean, he was in a tough spot. He probably wasn't thinking he's coming into that game in the seventh inning uh, with the six run lead, but uh, just not the, 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 a big concern, I think going forward is what your roles are going to be. I don't think you learn much at all about who you can count on to get outs um, when, when the lights are on in, in, in that series. And uh, that that's a concern. So we saw this on, and, you know, we've seen this for a few years, whatever Nebraska kind of starts off and it starts a little slow, you get people wondering why is the scheduling strategy, you know, why not try to find a little bit easier of an opponent, uh, maybe play somebody more closer in the Midwest, uh, comparable sort of weather situation, than going out to California and playing these, you know, it was, it was San Diego this time, but you know, we've seen it where Nebraska starts off with Oregon state right off the bat. So uh, what are your thoughts on that Brunts with how they choose the schedule? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I, I think you can have it both ways. You know, you, you look at a team like Iowa who goes to, I think they're in Florida and they play like Quinnipiac, I think is how you say the, the name of the school. Quinnipiac. Um, yeah, they they played them for for two games in like Illinois or Indiana State for one, and the, the the reason that Nebraska does that is because they want to host baseball in June, and unfortunately, with the way the Big Ten is and the way the RPI works, in order to do that, you either have to play tough opponents and and win some of them early in the season. Or you have to essentially like run the table um, against lesser opponents through the non-con schedule, and then win a bunch of them in Big Ten play. So your your margins thin one of two ways. I, I do sometimes wonder if it would make more sense to play the the Quinnipiacs, the Furmans, the um, you know, New Jersey Institute of Technology, if they have a baseball team. <laughs> hey, play, they made a regional. They did. Play them the first weekend um, and, and then lean into it a little bit more the second and third weekend um, with, you know, a team in Texas or like what Nebraska is doing this year where they're going to Minnesota and playing Vanderbilt and Old Miss. Like, it's 
like I said, I understand why they do it. I think I think history has shown at Nebraska that even if you're able to get outside a little bit in January, you're still at a competitive disadvantage somewhat when you're facing those kinds of teams. So uh, that's why. But, um, you know, I, I think I think you asked me last week, um, which kind of takes the the longest to come around. I can't remember what I said, but uh, I hope I said pitching because that was the answer. Yeah, I think it's for we've seen it, you know, with Nebraska over the last decade where you've gotten the hitting starts out okay and the pitching isn't there or the pitching is fine and they can't string together three hits in an inning. Um, so, I mean, unfortunately with baseball, you know, it's sometimes really hard to get both working at the same time. I, I do want to say, I mean, it does feel like some of the guys that they've added or some of the, the more fresh faces, I mean, Dylan Carey started red hot and he looks like he can be a guy for him. I mean, so if those bats, if the bats continue to play up uh, and really, I think the biggest bummer of all of them would have been Friday, right? Because frankly, they let what a half dozen or more chances go by with runners in scoring position and unable to, to kind of get those guys in and you give away sort of a close game there. So I, um, you know, they, not only did Nebraska go Oh, three and one, they managed to do it in unique and obnoxiously annoying ways. Yeah. I mean, it's that, that box score probably goes, deserves to go in some kind of file that, that you just kind of have ready to right go. Right there with the Chicago state one with Chicago state with, you know, the, the regional game where Nebraska beat UConn inexplicably uh, despite being massively out hit a few years ago. Um, yeah. It's, you know, I, I, I get the uh, I get a lot of it on social media about the you know the hand wringing. I mean it's it's still a very long season. Um, there's concerns I think with the way the bullpen pitched, but um, you know we'll see if they can get things turned around a little bit. It's it feels like a group that's a little bit more capable of handling something like what they experienced versus last year's team, which I don't think would have handled that nearly as well. But they've got three at South Alabama this week, uh, and they're going to have to get it turned around. Um, you know, the, in, in addition to the, uh, you know, scheduling kind of tough, I think it's pretty tough to go with a four-game series right out of the gates, too, uh, because – You don't have that depth. <laughs> man, even even before they threw out that first pitch on Monday, it was like this, this has the potential to be a pretty high-scoring game just based on how everything lined up. Do you um I had a I had a very good question. It was really good and it just completely disappeared. And I didn't do the thing where I created a way to remember it. So I guess uh I don't really have anything else at this Got point. It. Because I don't it was a great question, Brunt. It was honestly it was gonna lead to a fantastic conversation, but I suppose we will just survive and we'll finish with this. What record do you think they kind of need to be at as they get through non-conference? to give themselves a chance to potentially be an at-large bid if they don't win the Big Ten outright? Uh, Is well, 500, is that good enough? The, through the first three weeks? Through the first uh, non-conference, before they get into conference play. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, I was I was thinking more of the just first three weekends because, I mean, if you – if you are if – you, if you somehow beat one of the two SEC teams – in Minnesota, that's going to be huge for RPI purposes. South Alabama, I mean, if you find a way to win that series too, um, 
you know, or even just one game down there, um, that, that, that still works in your favor, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think you probably have to be better than 500. I mean, you're, you're basically, you're not leaving the state of Nebraska from March 8th until April, I want to say April 7th, sometime in there. So you, you got to start racking up some wins, um, in those three weeks in March. So, uh, I, I would probably go a little bit North of 500 and hopefully, um, you know, a signature win or two, um, in, in these first three weeks. All right. There you have it. I'm sure we'll be back talking more baseball next week. Uh, Brian Christopherson had already dropped off the podcast. So we wish him goodbye as well. Brunts, thanks for stopping in. We'll be back with another podcast later this week. Be sure to stop by Husker 24 seven, plenty of great stuff on the site. Nebraska picked up their first commitment, uh, as you know, mentioned in this podcast, I'll have a story on <laughs> other first commitments in the cycle and how that has worked out for the Huskers over the last few years. All that and more can be found at Husker 24-7. We'll catch you later this week with another podcast.